Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. With you, Captain. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for the season one finale. Episode 115, Will You Take My Hand? Comes to you now via charbroiled gourmet Gorgamander. And just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode, Pete. Of course, this time next week, we will be talking our season one retrospective of Star Trek Discovery. So the adventure continues, as the cool kids say. And uh, in the interim, we will be going to see Black Panther together on Thursday, podcasting it Friday. It is a great time to be a geek. Absolutely can't wait to share my impressions with you for Black Panther. And uh, yeah, so get your feedback in for all 15 episodes of Star Trek Discovery Season 1. We had a lot of feedback. Hey, could you delay a little bit for the international audience to see episode 15 the season finale so we were all too happy to oblige and and get a lot of feedback for you in this episode so same deal for next week give us your overall impressions of the season give us your uh thoughts your uh hopes of where it would go for season two and we'll get you covered with that and uh looking forward again to bringing you black panther And now for our mission briefing. Our teaser begins with the Klingons acquiring the target, Matt, which we uh, space out a little further to realize it's Earth. They're targeting Earth with an armada and a rather clever wipe with a satellite going by there. And suddenly our blue and white planet is... uh, swapped out with a green one and this is Cronus which leads us into a voiceover by Burnham about a young soldier and an old master let's step back one second to that uh that uh zoom in to earth couldn't help but notice that the iconic space dock is under construction you know the one what many a ship launched from and and in the case of uh, Excelsior, didn't launch from in the uh, in the classic movies, but uh, yes, we have this speech about uh, the general talking to a soldier. This the Burnham voiceover, which I guess places this episode as kind of sorta a, a reminiscing after the fact, since this speech I believe is taking place at uh, at the the ribbon uh, medal giving ceremony at the end of the episode. But I digress, Pete. The young soldier question has questions over the idea of uh, of fear and the reply, you will know fear because it speaks very fast and very loud. Yes, and with Georgiou on the bridge here, uh, who is making corrections to officers' reports and not interested in what they're scanning, but rather what she can see, running dark, her favorite, uh, rubbing people the wrong way. Saru calls Burnham over because there's a glitch in the optical data network I think he's talking about. Optics. These are not Federation ideals and definitely not their optics. 
Love the wordplay here uh, with Georgiou saying a scared Kelpian is a tough Kelpian. He knows she's mirror Georgiou. She knows it. We know it. We'll find out in a little bit. Most of the people on the bridge don't know it. But wait, that's not the conclusion that you floated last week, Pete, and that I totally agreed with. And I kind of have a little bit of trouble buying that. But we'll get there when we get there. Saru assures her, uh, her that he is, in fact, now very tough simply unpalatable and uh where are you from burnham blows up uh mirror georgiou's spot here oh you know i grew up in malaysia on palala Langkawi with the beautiful beaches and she summons the specialist there to take a walk and tells her if she tries to expose her again she'll throw her in the brig but that starfleet has recruited a terran to lead this mission smacks of desperation they have a problem she offered a solution in exchange for her freedom and that's just the thing that georgiou this version of georgiou has noted in burnham she has no follow through she tells her she should have killed her counterpart in the ready room attacked the klingons and been a hero that uh, whatever plan they have, Burnham grabs her and she's told not to do that again. But with an armada heading to Earth, they need a real plan as we head to the title card. I like, by the way, that the dark overtones right at the end of this, uh, of, of this portion of the story, uh, that music actually carries over into the optimism of the title card. It's a really, really nice uh touch and something that shows do all too rarely uh very very appropriate here uh we see in the title sequence that the teleplay is by gretchen j berg and aaron harberts with story by akiva goldsman berg and harberts directed by akiva goldsman so this is your this is your core crew here pete that has made this show possible for these 15 episodes not to take away from the efforts of of the fantastic crew behind the camera has gotten us this far but this is your three and i think there was always a vision defined as to where this season would end and i think it's only right that your showrunners and your producer uh wind up in the in the big spots for this particular episode we come out of the uh, the title sequence with a, a rather menacing exterior shot of Discovery's hard lines as it pushes through space. Uh, we end up in the brig, or at least in the in, in the waiting area, Pete. We're not in the brig uh, ourselves. In the Laurel cell, Matt. Let's call it what they call it in the writer's room. <laughs> You're right, Pete. The brig is the room. Laurel's in the hashtag Laurel cell. Uh, she is gobsmacked to see Georgiou still alive. Wasn't she eaten all the way back by, by Takovma's bunch? Uh, well, it's the wrong Georgiou that she's referring to. Uh, they get to business there looking at the, the picture of Kronos, and Laurel won't say how to get into those dormant volcanoes. Uh, so Georgiou activates Laurel's restraints, restraints that we had suspected worked that way, uh, and proceeds to, to beat her a bit until she falls in the crumpled mass on the floor but pete she laughs after that and uh, couldn't help but notice along the way that michelle yao she's still got those high kicks oh my gosh i mean between the fight with Lorca two episodes ago and this um anybody who thinks that michelle yao 
doesn't have it anymore is sorely mistaken. But I'll tell you what we glossed over. The excellent insult out of Laurel to Burnham. Go to hell, very small human. <laughs> ah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, we cut at this point to hands tying knots. Uh, we see some motion photos revealing Tyler's boating past. We also see his Apple Watch, Starfleet edition, uh, in the shot. Uh, that is, of course, what is keeping him tethered to the the no-no area, or keeping him tethered, I suppose, away from the no-no areas of the ship. Uh, he is spoken of in the third person by Georgiou, who calls him a half-breed, discarded by the Klingons, tarnished by the Federation. Uh, but he talks of his Tyler past. He's willing to help, not Georgiou, but Burnham. Yes, and this bow line he's making here that he explains, it doesn't run, it doesn't slip. And while there's discussion between Burnham and Georgiou about what they're even looking at, that his Klingon id has been neutered, that he's useless uh, to either side, it's his memories that he has uh, as well as the identity that he's taken on as ash tyler that he's willing to share his knowledge not with the emperor but for quick look at burnham look away starfleet yeah i love starfleet <laughs> uh the story then moves to the situation room where there's talk of sending a drone down but how can the maps be trusted they have they have scans that are black market purchases of Vul vulcan scans uh tyler suggests one spot in particular noting that they can't transport directly into any of these uh ultimately the one that they have their eye on is uh is surrounded by the orion embassy you know those slave trading orions uh, and uh, Georgiou also recruits Tyler for the mission. And then, Pete, she wants someone else. Yes, she wants uh, somebody she's found in the old Discovery personnel, and that is her friend, Captain uh, Killy. Great reveal there. I love, even though it slightly is pushing credulity that nobody else figured out that this is mirrors or you, but fine. If that's the conceit you're going to ask for us in our future space show with multiple uh, universes, fine. Uh, but Tilly is just, is just so gobsmacked to meet the really awesome Georgiou prime, the one that she's read about. And it's around this time where Georgiou reminds her of the adventures of uh, captain Killy subjugating those beta Zeds, uh, as well as Pete, uh, wiping out Mintaka 3, a deep cut Star Trek The Next Generation who watches the Watchers with the, the people who can't believe that there's actually other people watching them yes. from space. Those this innocent episode people. was loaded with deep cuts. And uh, when she realizes this is the Terran Emperor, I love that Tilly uh, salutes, which Burnham <laughs> has to tell her not to do. I mean, Mary Wiseman did a tremendous job all throughout the season. But it's this killing, Matt, that aged her counterpart. Uh, and, of course, Georgiou doesn't like the curls, says that they're hideous. You know, Tilly, don't let anybody tell you you're less than, uh, less than fantastic. There is some discussion as to what exactly they're going to wear. And when we see them in their civvy clothes, Pete, they're walking down the hall. They're doing the famous, the famous TV movie walk towards camera looking all cool. 
Um, that's a great moment. Followed up by that, we have Saru on the bridge checking with Stamets, who's ready for one more, one more jump. Uh, you may recall Stamets has been on his final jump for a while. Um, then they black alert into a cave, almost hitting rock bottom. Luckily, those uh, stabilizer beams stabilize them accordingly, and uh, they've made it, Pete, as, uh, as the fearsome foursome are in the transporter room. The landing party gets sent down to end the act. Dressed as low lives here, Matt, with some gear that Gabriel found lying around their universe. Love the leather and the, the furry cape that uh, Georgiou dons. And if you look closely, Matt, and I can't take credit for um, making the comparison, but Michael Burnham appears to be wearing almost for item the same outfit as uhura wore to chronos in star trek into darkness right down to the scarf i had not noticed that in part because pete let's just say of uh of tilly's outfit i will say en francais j'approuve well on this stormy surface here of Kronos, we have a klingon relieving himself with two streams we'll theorize about that in a little bit uh the we cover everything pete there's, there's no theory unturned the dregs of the human race are present uh the orions tyler says are unlikely to trust them or give them info Oh, and hey, Matt, look at that. It's some pan-fried SETI eel. Yum. <laughs> Straight from the ear to the pan to your mouth. <laughs> um, it's extra waxy. So good. Um, I love the use of the green-skinned Orions here. I mean, I get that they're green-screened. Green-skinned. Green I get that they're iconic all the way back to the cage. Uh, it just feels so like, oh, this is the seedy underside of, of uh, Star Trek, even though, Pete, we are one one band away from this breaking into a cantina type scene. Um, we have the one Orion woman who's ready to blow Georgiou away. Then You mean uh, Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> uh, oh, boy, Pete. All the universes are just coming together. Uh, Tilly, acting Achille, threatens to blow off the woman's nose. Uh, they get a deal started for Nausicaan disruptors. There's a, there's another you know cut back to uh, Star Trek's previous, and uh, Tilly ultimately steps away with Michael, wondering what Georgiou's real plan is. And uh, Tilly reassures Burnham that Tilly is there to help Burnham. Want a snack, Pete? popsicles, Matt, which Tyler IDs as space whale. That's right, Gormagander. But Georgiou points out they're not here for bread and circuses. You got that one, right? It's like the episode, Pete, entitled Bread and Circuses. I was looking for Romans and TV cameras when that happened. Uh, but maybe, Matt, with a couple guys thrown out of a joint, the circus is where to start. And uh, Georgiou knew that their whole universe couldn't be that boring. She hands out some credits here. She uh, splits everybody up to see if they can buy information on how to get them into the shrine. Uh, and then she purchases a little me time from a gentleman and a lady. That lady is not for Tilly, though. Pete, we get a lot of green Orion space butt. 
from the ladies. There's also some space hunk there. Um, it's a whole lot of green. Part of me, I, believe, I guess, I believe it's called Orion Cheesecake. <laughs> um, part of me initially wanted to be like, "Whoa, this is a little much for Star Trek." It is worth remembering that some of the outfits on Classic Trek, while they have amusingly aged well, um, yeah. just in terms of like, been... "Oh boy," like they were really daring back then. Escape the time, yeah. Well, I even think back to uh, name of the episode escapes me. There's a Next Generation episode about episode 107. Uh, where they beam down to the planet where everyone wears napkins and Wesley throws his ball into the wrong bunch of flowers yeah. and they have to kill him. Like, as a seven-year-old, I'm sitting there going, there's a whole lot of, like, oiled-down men and women, some Matt of which are kissing a man in the back. to that episode, man. Pete, there were feels felt there. <laughs> and, I, and I wondered how one could ever feel comfortable uh, wearing try so being, little. Try being in high school at the time. So... Look, is this more TVMA than those? Sure. But my point is, it's not that much TVMA. What did we see? We saw a woman's naked rear hand and then the the gentleman where not not too much was covered, but just enough was. And then in a little bit, we have space pasties. This term is show that in the making of Star Trek book, there's, there's there are discussions about how much of the bosom you can show and what parts you can and you can show the top and not the bottom and not the this and the that so we're really really not too far off from you know drill thralls and other outfits from classic track thank goodness there are no high schoolers watching cbs all access what pete there's no pr problem that cbs all access has right that's what they say well, back to our scene here. Tyler finds a game called Dishunk, and uh, which translates literally to obliterate them. It's kind of like uh, Klingon uh, uh, Stratego. And uh, he says that Vok was pretty good as a gambler. He felt that the numbers always compensated for the bad luck he had. What bad luck, asks Burnham, you know, being born with a rare genetic mutation that made his skin translucent white. He was considered a freak. Uh, so as a human, he tries to pal up to these Klingons who think he's spying for the Federation, but he can speak Klingon-y, Matt. Uh, and for a few hundred darsecs here to take from the losers, let the humiliation begin, little boy with a big mouth. I would like to point out that at the beginning of this scene, there's a little, little stumbling verbally on Tyler's part. You know, he's watching Tchunk, and uh, Tyler's good at. I mean, Vok. I mean, me. I mean, oh, 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 boy. Which, which, which guy am I again? And that's kind of the under the underlying feeling in the scene here. He so quickly excels, not just in speaking Klingon, but in in being with these Klingons that Pete, if there's the cruelest fate of all. Cut to Burnham being disappointed. Pete, can anything put a put a smile on her face in this the season finale of Star Trek? I think it wasn't her being disappointed so much as she was flashing back. And then we have that conversation to learn in a little bit that uh, she witnessed, overheard the death of her parents when the Klingons attack. So it, for me, it worked very well as a reflection of um, Tyler's flashbacks, his PTSD, 
not aware at the time of his underlying personality as Volk. Um, so I was fine with that. Nearby, however, Matt, a green Clint Howard takes a hit or a hot from the vol as Tilly walks in. First of all, look, we all know what Clint Howard looks like. But I was like, that looks like Clint Howard. Wait a minute. That's really Clint Howard. Uh, I, I knew I, about this uh, cameo as of uh, Saturday. And I was like, oh, my God, they're really going for it here. My only complaint with this scene is he should have had a drink in his hand. It didn't even need to be named, yeah. but it should have been Clint Howard there with the Tranya. Um, but yeah, there he is, Pete. He's the the smoking Orion Huffer. Um, Tilly, of course, does not want to smoke the wacky Orion Tabacky. Pete, shades of our of our uh, Newman's podcast here. But uh, when in the Orion Embassy, you gotta go for a ride on Puff the Magic Dragon. She does so quickly, passes out from the Valk hit, and uh, and passes out holding the drone. Nay, the drone handcuffed to her, Pete. Burnham checks out a tattoo parlor with uh, interesting designs that you press and uh, reveal more to themselves as a trill mat is getting stamped up before Tyler comes in. Having learned nothing, these Klingons uh, were amused by him speaking Klingonese, you know, like they would be a dog on water skis, you know, because his human identity liked uh, nautical stuff and likes to water ski. Possibly also a big fan of uh, watching the holotapes of Happy Days and the water skiing Fonzie. I don't know. It's all possible. Um, And uh, it's at this point, Pete, where jokes aside... Burnham Burnham takes the energy down here, tells Tyler about her parents. They had planned a family vacation to Mars, but they stayed three more days on Doctari Prime so that Michael could see a star go supernova. Then the Klingons attacked. Um, It's around this point where Tyler starts to look really guilty. Uh, She recounts having been hidden in a cabinet while her father tried to keep the door closed. Her father was killed quickly. It was longer with her mother than the Klingons sat down and ate the family's dinner. I think out of this incredibly sad scene and sad recounting, I appreciate two things. I appreciate, A, that they did not cut to some sort of flashback to show mm-hmm. it. I think that would have been unnecessary. And, B, I like that they let the writing speak for itself when they when Burnham says her father was killed quickly, her mother was not. All that is implied there, I think, is is best left unsaid and, and best left in the mind's eye. And and kudos to to Berg and Harberts and Goldsman for just having that there, letting it be awful, but not letting the, the writing or the story linger on it. And I think the larger point of the scene here, Tyler wonders how she could not hate them and him for what they've become. Um, and this is where the larger ideals of the episode that she notices there's just people here living lives. They're not normal to us, but this is, you know, a, a sense of normal for them and that the emperor is wrong. This is a home. And if the Federation does target them in attacks through the information that they gain, it'll never be the same. 
And Tyler says he can see both sides, but he chooses hers because she feels compassion and sympathy for an enemy. No Klingon ever felt that toward him, but she did. I'm sorry, Pete. I wasn't listening. I was just watching those two guys over there, what with their <laughs> drinking of drinks and relighting and whatnot. Those are followers of Malor. Uh, and it's around this time that Tyler goes to talk to them. Speaking of Malor, cut to Georgiou. Hi, Dolor. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, she has taught these two <clears throat> professionals so much. Then she yanks a gun on them. No metaphor. Asking, where's the shrine of Malor? Pete, it's Malor galore. There's different ways to skin in a cat house, Matt. But uh, Tilly, having fallen asleep next to green Clint Howard, uh, he tries to saw the handcuffs off the drone case. Uh, she wakes up. Shame on him. But they had inhaled a volcanic uh, vapor straight from the source. No, these volcanoes are alive. The drone will be destroyed. But wait a minute. That's not a drone in the case. And she reaches out to Burnham, who explains that uh, she is, one, very high, and two, that there are active volcanoes beneath them. Oh, yeah, and the drone is not a drone. It's a hydrogen bomb that we keep on Discovery to pow, get knocked out by Georgiou. Georgiou deploying the classic Trek, I guess actually I think of it more as a TNG thing, but the the, the flat palm punch to the face. Um, if you're referring to a phoenix punch, which uh, actually forces the nose bone into the brain, uh, yeah. Luckily, Tilly has a, a, a very small esophagus, which uh, prevented any, uh, any injury there. Um, we go back to Tyler returning to Burnham. He knows where the shrine is. We then cut to Burnham, Tilly, and Tyler, the middle one there, no longer quite so high. Um, the, the idea that the hydrogen bomb would be, uh, would be detonated uh, is catastrophic. They report to Discovery, just as Georgiou intercuts Pete, because she has a sense of timing, uh, as she throws the bomb down a well, and it kind of takes its own path from there. Saru wants to contact Starfleet, though this may be Starfleet's plan. Get Cornwell on the horn! We begin Act 3, Matt, with a rather evocative simulation of what's going to happen to Kronos. Never really meant to feel like that's what's happening with any kind of fake out. But is this what we are now? Uh, Burnham wonders to Cornwell, is this what we're stooping to genocide? And though the terms of atrocity are convenient after the fact, and the Klingons are on the verge of wiping out the Federation. It's that we have a Terran and the secrecy that we've taken that tells Burnham that the Federation knows this is unethical and therefore wrong. It is a sensible speech from Cornwell, uh, who's, who's in on it via Holocaust, of course, and who is prepared to have this discussion in front of everyone. Uh, but it's, it's, it's this idea that there's a luxury of principles and Burnham, Burnham rejects that saying the principles are all that we have a year ago. She thought survival was more important than proving who they are. 
uh, and indeed notes that maybe it's time for a mutiny again. Saru goes from looking shocked, then all of a sudden he's with her, Detmer is with her, uh, the bridge crew rises out of its seats. Saru says, we are Starfleet, and uh, can't, can't argue with that. Uh, certainly Cornwall can't, uh, and she asks, what are you suggesting? And uh, Pete, that's when off-screen a plan is uh, hatched, what, to make things more interesting for we, the viewers. Yes, we have uh, the change of plans here with Burnham showing up to see Georgiou with the detonator. Her freedom is still granted. Here's the proof that she flips at her, uh, but she has talked Starfleet out of planetary slaughter. Um, this was, it turns out, the way that Georgiou took care of the Klingons the first time, but a decent number of them save themselves. The advantage here in this universe is that there won't be any Terran ships firing on them as they escape. But it's this guilt and pain that Georgiou uh, at least tries to sell that she's relieving of Burnham. Uh, just kidding, not really. But there are no second chances, she says. And she wants Burnham to join her. The bomb's in position. They have the detonator. Klingon and Starfleet will be at their mercy. And then pulls a phaser, pulls that Nausicaan disruptor on her uh, and, and puts it at her chest. But Georgiou should be ready if she follows through here to be hunted for the rest of her days. And then she gives up. <laughs> uh, I like that Burnham kind of knew the path of brinksmanship that uh, that Georgiou would need to go on, and, and Burnham anticipated that, and, and when ultimately uh, Georgiou relents and will not uh, fire the gun, Burnham's ready for that. She calls the others in. The others are Laurel and Tyler, and uh, there's this idea that, uh, that Laurel will be given a new place uh, where the Federation can nonetheless win, uh, Laurel gets the detonator. It's going to be bio-coded to her. And uh, there's the suggestion that she use that strength to blend, uh, to bend the planet to her will, to unite the Empire under her. And then a really kind of fitting, uh, I don't know, pasting of ideas here. Tyler says that he was the torchbearer, lighting the way for the leader. Uh, and she is that leader, and um, it's time for her to leave the shadows. So here we are, Pete, back to that back to that beginning episode with the notion of the torchbearer. And here we have the torchbearer completing his mission. As Georgiou leaves there, Burnham asks her to be good or you'll come for me. Georgiou wonders, just make sure she doesn't have to. And as if we're going to leave Michelle Yao hanging out there and never revisit this at some point in this show's run. I also had to wonder if perhaps there was a bit of a uh, bit of wordplay there, but we'll leave that to the to, to the imagination. We hit the act break and then uh, return to Orion Shanty Town at night. Uh, <laughs> Burnham and Tyler are talking, uh, and Isik for her thoughts. Uh, they still don't know what an Isik is. Uh, Laurel will be going on a Makai ship, and big reveal here, Pete. We've been talking for so many episodes. The pound of flesh must be paid in modern TV. You can't simply reset at the end of an episode, nor even an end of a season. Here's the pound of flesh. He's going to go with 
uh, Laurel. He's no good for either side, but hopes to be good for both. Uh, and he says his goodbyes, noting that she saved his life and that uh, he will miss looking at her. Yeah, and it, it's an earned scene, but your mind can't help but wonder where is the plan moving forward for these characters. I mean, we're losing two regulars, it seems, Matt, in Tyler and Laurel. And though the Klingon storyline gets resolved, we know that the Klingons continue to be an integral part of their universe. I'm just very interested to see where we could catch up with Tyler and, and what his character might be like going forward. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the love between Burnham and Tyler, the, the saving of his life. And she regards that she only sees Ash Tyler's eyes now. And I love that he leaves the bowline behind in her hands this thing that does not run, that does not slip, that tied him to his humanity before he beams out. Beams out as he looks back while he and Laurel walk. It's a really, really lovely mm -hmm. moment. Um, it's kind of a reminder that, you know, people don't move when they beam out or people didn't ever move while beaming because it was an effect where you fade from nothing to something or vice versa and you put animation over it and those days are behind us kind of ditto to why didn't they ever beam down in attack position because eh, no one thought that far until i mean the first time i think i saw it was uh, the the 2009 star trek you know it takes somebody to think it and you go oh yeah of course they treat beaming differently and of course now we can handle that technologically um but regardless, uh, they've beamed out. We cut to Laurel, uh, who, as it turns out, is speaking to, I guess, what is meant to be kind of the remnants of, of whatever unification there is or, or speaking to House Mokai. Um, she says that no, I think she's speaking to all the houses. She's She's got the detonator. This wouldn't just be a, I'm going to blow up one house. Uh, she's She's talking about unifying them all it even seemed like she might be on top of whatever volcano that would incinerate them i only point out the slight confusion just because they have the four or five klingons on the balcony one is was it deneth that the klingon that had the klingon lady that has the jewelry uh on, on her face and it was just ever so slightly unclear like i don't see 24 people I, we don't have the hollow call going on. Yes, there were kind of other faces in the alcoves and, and whatnot. But again, certainly the notion that her word is being heard by all 24 houses, that much is clear. Well, remember um, that uh, Tyler pointed out that one of the chimneys came up into a council chamber. Okay. Uh, again, I'm just saying like we've had – I don't know if in that original hollow call to uh, – to the ship of the dead. I don't think there were 24 Klingons there, although there may have been. No. Certainly it was like, here's a whole bunch of representatives from many of the prominent houses. I didn't quite get that feeling here. Now, obviously you can infer everyone's getting the message. Um, particularly, you know, this is an area of story where, well, we'll discuss here. She, she claims that she is now the leader, uh, the new leader that is needed. Um, she's laughed at. 
uh, but in her hands are the fate of the Klingon homeworld. She calls for a unification, throwing down of arms, or consequences. We cut to the Klingon ships approaching Earth, and then, just like that, they pull away. Ever so slight quibble, Pete, I would have liked a little bit more to go from full-scale interstellar war, the end of the Federation, to, and then they pulled away. Well, as the Armada pulls off there, Matt, and it comes clear to us that the speech, the voiceover that Burnham was making at the beginning of the episode as part of an extended discussion that that gets cut over three particular scenes, this one now, and then later the uh, the commendation in the uh, the the Starfleet grand audience room out of Star Trek 2009. Um, but she explains here that Earth, Andor, Telar, Vulcan, every planet in the Federation had made their odyssey out of darkness. And so, too, now have the Klingons. And as we move in on Earth and push in, Matt, on the Eiffel Tower, um, Fred in the Netherlands, I'm sure, quickly had a flashback to another podcast of ours <laughs> with Eiffel. Um, I, I love too that Paris, uh, called out again as some kind of seat of leadership for, um, the, uh, United Federation of planets, like it had been in Star Trek films before. Like it had been and will be, mm -hmm. you know, cause the chronology and all that. Um, yeah, same here. It kind of was this moment of, oh, what city is this? Oh, wait, it's Paris. Why Paris? Oh, right. Why Paris? Because it's always Paris. Even Pete, as I recall, the um, uh, extensive redress of 10 forward that was used in Star Trek VI <laughs> to be the, uh, to be the um, uh, Federation president's uh, office, uh, in including cloth drapes over the, you know, hiding the bay windows of 10 forward there. Um, I believe that looked out to the Eiffel Tower. Yes. I also might be confusing this with uh, the We'll Always Have Paris episode. But, like, to, my point is this. The placement, by, by my recollection, the placement is correct that you should be able to see the Eiffel Tower directly across from UFP headquarters or the UFP White House or whatever it's, whatever it's called here. Um, it just all fit. And then we end up with Amanda who, who uh, reaches Michael asking for an Isik for their thoughts. She doesn't know what an Isik is either. Um, and uh, Burnham, however, has learned what it means to preserve her humanity. This is a well-written scene. For me, it was just a little bit deflating because literally like two minutes ago, there was still interstellar war. And I know that some uh, fans have had an issue with how quickly it was resolved, but I think it's more so about the motivations and the need to, to get us back to a certain point come the end of the season. We've had this big, sprawling, year-long, we're told in a moment, 15-chapter story from the initiation of the battle of the binary stars to where we are now. Okay. Um, and the end result is that, uh, between Amanda and Sarek here, Sarek telling, uh, Burnham that he's not the only person who recognize 
what she's done to uphold, to commit to Starfleet's ideals that uh, he had asked to give to her her uh, badge, that her record had been expunged, and that Commander Michael Burnham is reestablished, the Federation as grateful to her as he is to have her as a daughter, and that mom is going to stay in Paris for a few days while we travel in Discovery to Vulcan, you know, to pick up your new captain, who is... Don't know yet. Indeed. I like, too, in this scene that he notes... He notes with pride, and this is perhaps James Frain's best acted scene, in part because the story allows him to show more emotion than usual. And we've discussed in the past how he does a great job of really, I mean, he nails the line equally to, maybe not equally, almost as good as Leonard Nimoy and equal to Mark Leonard to show non-emotion emotions. And as opposed to, I am a robot that is completely emotionless. He nails that sense of, I feel emotions, but they're, the volume is turned way down. So when there's enough emotion to pierce the heart, to pierce the emotional heart, then you you almost take more notice as a Vulcan because you're not used to anything that penetrating your heart. This notion here that he had a hand in on the plan to destroy Kronos, uh, and he was part of this brain trust, but that it's Burnham who has found another way out, um, and that that in turn has allowed an, a, a way out for her with her record being expunged, as we predicted for for you know forever ago, Pete. Canon restored. Uh, episode uh, the oh the Tholian web with the defiant, um, where Spock says you know there was no you know there's never no been a record recorded mutiny, yeah yeah recorded mutiny. So Pete, what does the record read now? How many mutinies? None. Back to zero here. If anything, my quibble is you know is it believable that the Federation would a go down this path and take this action um so dastardly towards chronos and b having that revealed okay yeah we're gonna get rid of burnham's record and restore her we're all cool now right you know we who were going to wipe out a race well i think that i i think that's an interesting notion um i'm trying to think but you how. got your badge back so go get him commander i mean we've always seen a little healthy hypocrisy out of the federation whether it's you know captain kirk's non-interference unless i take you to bed or things like that um or uh, with a bit more serious tone some of the deep space nine um section 31 type stuff where they're the bad guys that do the bad things to keep your way of life safe. So I think there's that. I think there's also just a healthy, you know, there's a healthy reflection where you could say, Hey, we were going down the wrong path. I mean, look, not to put too fine a point on it, Pete, I would suspect some point in the next two or less years, there are people in this country who are going to say, Hey, you know what? I thought X, now I've seen the the ill of my ways, you know, back to the mindset that there was, I don't know, three, four years ago, something like that, where I think there's that opportunity where you, you stray from the path, then hopefully 
you know, hopefully the, the good hearted realize that was one step too far and we do need to find our way back to, to what we know is best. Thank goodness we have a fictional future to light their way. The same way, Matt, this young soldier and general uh, decided that the only way to defeat fear is to tell it no, no shortcuts on the path to righteousness, that they would maintain moral authority. And while there might not be second chances, we can only look forward we have to be our own torchbearers and continue to explore. This is the United Federation of Planets. And I love that the speech here is intercut with the uh, acceptance of Tilly to the Starfleet Command Program, to the commendation to Lieutenant Commander Paul Stamets, and the posthumous one, how can your heart not break for medical officer Hugh Culber? I mean, that that to me was the the piercing of the heart in, in this episode that commander Saru is the first Kelpian to receive the medal of honor and they get the rousing ovation from Amanda and everybody else in this room made very much to look like the one from the 2009 film before it's off pointing us towards the next adventure. Well, right before we do that, yes, I think much of much of that room, particularly the wide shot where it goes up and up and up, is meant to be evocative of the 2009 film. There are some angles, though, that made me think of the end of Star Trek VI and and little Kirk's bit speech yep. there. I mean, yeah. I don't know how much is intentional or how much is just you know the, the the Star Trek nerd gluing different pieces together, but both fit obviously. And and again, it's a stirring speech that Burnham gives. It's a Star Trek speech. And it's all just so fitting. And in a certain sense, Pete, that's the end of season one. Take us to the the beginning of season two, if you will. The epilogue and uh, Tilly never having been to Vulcan before. Burnham promises to show her if there's some time. We get the tidy putting away of the spore drive because, hey, why aren't we jumping? Starfleet is committed, uh, Stamets tells us, to finding a non-human interface. Until that happens, he's happy to take it the old-fashioned way. And we could never revisit the Spore Drive again, and it's been handled. So that's tidally packed away. I and like then, that go ahead. You know, they, they could have said Starfleet has classified this forever, which I think is right. safer. But this leaves you the wiggle room of like, oh man, it's been on pause but here we are, a little short for story ideas for, uh, you know, for, for for season three, chapter two of that season, um, Spore Drive. And this way, they're not so painted into a corner that they can't get their way out again. Absolutely. Uh, acting Captain Saru, Matt, he corrects, comes to the bridge and orders maximum warp to Vulcan before... <gasps> A priority one distress signal? Oh, hang on, hang on a second. I'm going to sit at my terminal. I'm, I'm having trouble, Matt, IDing it. It's kind of choppy. I'm going to put in NCC, and then there's four numbers. The first is one. The second is seven. Before we're dropping out of warp, and Saru is uh, using hailing frequencies to ask the other ship to identify themselves, the comm officer lets him know that it is Captain Pike and Burnham exchanges a look 
with Sarek, like, wait a minute, you know, Captain Pike, where uh, your son and my stepbrother is on his vessel, the USS Enterprise? It's, I mean, it's a wonderful moment. You see the Enterprise appear. You see it arrive. You see the two show, the, the two ships nose to nose, the two shows nose to nose. And it's taken all of these 15 episodes to get back to the Star Trek times. And they're there. They've done it. And while I certainly expect future seasons to still retain some darkness and some maturity and, and whatnot, it's like, Pete, we've made it through the darkness and, and we're back home again. Well, certainly, Matt, helping us at home and abroad are our contributors to patreon.com slash fantastic geek they have kept us flying in space these 15 weeks and more and of course fantastic geek will continue to cover star trek news as it happens and uh continue to be podcasting all our other good stuff until star trek discovery returns and uh all there underpinned by our crew at patreon.com slash fantastic geek whether you are contributing at the beep boop christopher pike level or just an ensign everybody matt gets access to exclusive podcast content and then you determine what direction the turbo lift goes from there so head over to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash fantastic geek today Well, Pete, though these are happy Star Trek times, we still have a threat analysis coming in. And uh, where should we start, Pete? Should we start with old Georgiou? Let's begin with Emperor Georgiou. And while I have a little bit of an issue that they let this threat out there, she's just too good to get rid of. Um, I would have bet money they were going to kill the character off just so it wasn't a loose end. And I admire that they can keep it tantalizingly. So in play, um, the, the thing that occurs to me, Burnham at one point, actually it was Saru when, when he had a crisis of leadership was looking for the, the secret sauce of Starfleet captains. And it was Pike and, Georgiou, who were specifically mentioned as the top five. And she's Michelle Yao was just luminous in two different roles. We barely knew her as this universe, Philippa Georgiou, and the bond that she shared with Burnham, which makes the the cruel twist of fate, the the mutiny and everything that went down there down to being consumed physically by the enemy to now this leather corset cape wearing uh just ham still being on this side of the universe in a time when what's known about the terrans is is very little with techniques and uh just so much at her disposal, they'll have to return to this at some point. It's it, it's sensible to keep her alive, particularly, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that Lorca is absolutely 100% dead 
for now. I think the intention is he is killed off. I don't think it's going to be, oh, man, we thought it was Pike on the horn, but actually, surprise, surprise, Captain Lorca has come back from the great beyond. Like, And which Lorca, too, like definitively, you can say neither of them is dead. We saw one potentially sucked into the mycelial network. The other we've never even met. So, I mean, all true, but to have the to have the confidence to keep her alive, knowing that that's a more fun solution and honestly more earned. I mean. Look, they were prepared to let her go free after they committed genocide. For her to have simply given them a peaceful solution out with the threat of force, it, it is well earned. And I'll do you one better, Pete. Number of crimes that Mira Georgiou has committed in this universe, um, zero. So I think there is a certain there's a certain legal sense of justice, even if it isn't a moral sense of justice there. And so again, we have justice, we have story solution, we have peace. What more could you ask from a baddie? Well, with Laurel, Matt, it's a little bit of a different situation. I, I find I admire the character, though she is aligned differently than our protagonists. And really, what does she want? She wants to fulfill Takuvma's promise. She wants to bring everybody back together. Surely part of bringing them back together will at some point lead them back against the Federation, as we know from 51 plus years of uh, Star Trek uh, storytelling and, and history. But it's a hopeful ending for her that started with her in the brig in that Laurel cell, getting her butt kicked by somebody she thought she ate before, all being not seasoned enough. And uh, now she's in a position of power with her finger on the trigger of a detonator. Uh, something we'll surely discuss when we talk theories in a little bit. You know, I think back to this time last year where a lot of the casting announcements were being made. And, um, oh, she, you know, Mary Chifo is playing a Klingon. That's interesting. And then there's kind of this lead up some of the makeup stuff, so on and so forth. Then you get to that first episode this past September, and it's like, you know, Mary Chifo as deck commander. And it was like, what? What happened here? I thought her character was going to be bigger. There is, however, affirmation in that, that she really was on the lower end of the uh, of the totem pole. Her character was to go from that to, you know, standing in the shadow of the Messiah, but still... I mean, I guess being, you know, part of the part of the inner sanctum to now this great unifier, someone who quick mental search over my uh, my history of the future Klingon Empire. I mean, I know there's been dibs and dabs and there's been trouble and there's been the Dura sisters and all that. But basically a unified empire, um, at least I think, all the way through the, the chronologically latest uh, points in Star Trek, which takes us to Star Trek Nemesis. Um, so it's I'm, all, all, all of this being a, a long way of saying if she has made this lasting, mostly unified empire, a, a cohesive unit, that's a heck of a, you know, heck of a reputation for this character, a character who I don't know we're going to see tons and tons of in the future. This certainly is not. And join our crew as our weapons right. officer. I mean, right. we'll be lucky to get her to show up in a guest star role. 
you know, in three, four or five episodes next season. Could they have timed it any better? And of course, they had no idea this was going to happen. But with this Me Too movement, Matt, with the way that we see, uh, you know, these these male houses and some of the, the female warriors at the end of the episode scoffing at her for her to be the one to be acknowledged for them to albeit under duress see that she's the one that needs to be followed it's uh it's really refreshing to borrow from another universe it's about damn time pete let's move on to the orions here's the good news pete nobody wants to see orion justice nobody wants to see the orions raised up not classic trek folks not tng folks not the not jeans trek folks everybody's happy to see an orion down and out for the counts and that's what we get here smoking that sweet volcanic <laughs> ash it's funny too no one wants to see an orion belt <laughs> well pete a couple of those orions were wearing what what used to be called dance belts but that's a different matter entirely um your thoughts on the 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 drugging, the smoking, the the nudie dancing uh, Orions here? It's everything you would have hoped for if they were going to go to the Orions. The inclusion of Clint Howard as notable Orion uh, past the uh, the man and lady of the night really throws over the top. Uh, points off for Gamora clone. Uh, more than leveled out with uh, Howard's inclusion. Oh, Pete, cheer up. You just need to drink the Tranya. Well, hopefully you all know that reference. Uh, Pete, do you know the cause of the unknown distress uh, cause? I don't think it's written yet. I don't think, Matt. I mean, it, it was slightly uh, cop-out land when... Okay, it's Pike's Enterprise. What do you know? We can't see a hail, obviously, because we've not cast the Pike actor and probably the Spock actor who's standing right next to him. Uh, and we'll discuss all of that in the next segment. But um, I just loop back to, well, maybe the distress call is... Lorca somehow wound up in our universe or we have real Lorca and he's identified a, a, another threat that we need to uh, stay on top of. I, I can't help but shake that somehow Lorca gets looped back to. I think they would be wise that what is it? It was just a weird thing that caused the thing. You know, it's an it's an energy whatever. And, you know, there's some weird Star Trek sci fi springboard that has brought these two ships together i think for the purposes of having that family discussion we'll talk theories in a little bit uh who i think is going to be showing up next season and uh, i got some evidence to bring to my uh, to my case here but i think it's just going to be what are the odds wink wink well now that we have that dispensed with let's have the family meeting Well, Pete, the time has come. We got the long-range sensors looking all the way into Season 2 and what is directly off the port bow there. So so where do you want to start? So many nods, Matt, both subtle and sublime. 
I can't help but look at this episode as a real love letter to all of Star Trek, whether it's the SETI eels, you know, two of them quick seen in a in a frying pan, but you can't see it and and not go to Rathacon, whether it's the Orions, Clint Howard, for uh, instance, Matt, we're just loaded the Betazoid reference with uh, things that help us across all eras of Trek to understand the enduring legacy. It uh, it was a remarkably well put together episode. I, I also think I also think it could have been longer. Part of me wanted to go for that, you know, Game of Thrones sixty five minute uh, episode. But if there's one thing that this show has established, it's that it prefers a faster pace than not. And I think the audience would put up with something slower, but that's not what they're cooking up. Um, we do slow down a bit for the Burnham and Tyler goodbye, but this is an episode that, and, and indeed a season, that really, really wants to move and really, really wants to, to keep pace there. I'm okay with all of that. Uh, the ending included, and Pete, if we're going to talk theories, let me ask you, who do you think we see on the Enterprise next season, and who do you think they get to to play those people? I mean, if money and schedule availability were no obstacle, obviously you'd want to do everything you could to get Zachary Quinto as Spock in this prime universe and of course bruce greenwood as captain pike greenwood is currently on a dreadful yet uh pilot high rated episode of a medical show on fox and we don't know how much time is going to elapse between when these episodes are getting ready for production We know that the writing room is very deep into the process of breaking season two. I would imagine several scripts are in the process of being written right now. Um, And I'm sure end of this week, beginning of next week, we'll start to hear some rumbling as far as what they're thinking with a plan for season two. But yeah, I mean that those two actors are floating around out there. It's certainly tempting Uh, I think one is more notable with uh, Quinto not being permanently attached to anything right now. Can you get him? We know that the film universe and the TV universe, there's a little bit of non-connectivity given the Paramount CBS stuff, but who knows? I think Pike is, they, they might aim for somebody a little younger uh, a little bit more, shall we say, TV action oriented than uh, Bruce Greenwood, who I love, who we saw at um, Star Trek uh, Mission New York when uh, when they were in the early days on uh, Discovery as far as the uh, writing and casting process. But who knows? Well, I think we can look at some of the comments that uh, that particularly Aaron Harberts has made to, to intuit some things. First of all, Harberts uh, proudly saying to the Hollywood Reporter um, that about this ending, 
uh, and speaking of, uh, of course, Brian Fuller's exit from the show when he was shown the door. Which uh, are... which show that that Brian Fuller exits, Matt? I'm, <laughs> I have to go to my my flowchart. Uh, Pete, for those not in the know, let me bring them up to speed that after Brian Fuller was asked to leave Star Trek Discovery, he has since left um american uh, gods, american gods and, and also amazing has, stories yeah ha, and has also i'd been like asked to, to announce leave. that he's left an untitled project uh it hasn't happened yet but it will happen he's become a meme <laughs> well here's what harvard's had to say about the ending of this season in relation to whose show is this uh he said brian wasn't involved with this part it definitely came later in the evolution um, later in this article, uh, Harberts says, where did it go? Um, uh, we moved through that inherited storyline, that of the war, in the way we wanted to and ended it the way we wanted to. Some well-earned pride there. Lastly, Pete, bringing it back to, uh, to Spock, who is on that ship. You know, the, 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 the son of Sarek and the, the stepbrother of Burnham. Uh, here's another uh, Harvard's quote. We realize how incredible Leonard Nimoy and Zachary Quinto's performances were and uh, what J.J. Abrams and the original series were able to pull off with that character. Finding another actor that could even come close to what Leonard Nimoy did with the original portrayal, we'd never want to go down that road. Close quote. Wait a minute, Pete. Who's the one person who has been able to go down that road, who has had the blessings of Leonard Nimoy, who has been told by Leonard Nimoy, welcome to your future? Yeah, it's uh, it's very hard to think that they could go in any other direction than to bring in Zachary Quinto. We know that he's done the TV work before, um, both with uh the hero show yep. where he really got his his star and then uh in the earlier seasons of american horror story this is big budget enough we know that this is close to his heart with the relationship he ultimately forged with leonard nimoy um really would love to i mean i, th I think it's very simple i i think fans of star trek would want to see him reprise it um Surely it's going to be a negotiations thing. I also don't think they would have taken this step and that Harberts as a showrunner would say something like that unless they already knew they kind of had some kind of commitment. I mean, it just makes sense. And at this point, who are you going to annoy by it? Who who hates the Kelvin timeline but has all their playmates action figures circa 1994 lined up on their on their mantle who are you going to offend the people who don't watch star trek discovery those are the only people who if they haven't heard this after 15 episodes being annoyed that that kelvin timeline spock who not for nothing is also just meant to be young spock the end meant to be right. how he spock was always going to look at that age it's it, it, it's there for the taking i think that you do recast pike um just because of Greenwood's age relative to the pike that we see in the cage and in the menagerie. But, you know, I also think that we get a brief enterprise story, one or two episodes, and they springboard off of that, you know, much similar to how we kind of got the, the Senjo story for two episodes. And that then was a catalyst for um, the rest of the first half of the season or the entire season, that kind of thing. But, um, 
I mean, it was it, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful ending. I had tears in my eyes. They then go to the credits and they have the, uh, you know, the the old school credits with the, with the singing. I mean, it was just we made it. We made it to getting Star Trek back on TV and a modern Star Trek, but a classic Star Trek nonetheless. One last thing. Spock is sacrosanct. So you can only imagine there is a plan in place. This is not something that they can put out a casting call and attempt to come up with. It was one thing to bring James Frain in as Sarek. Okay, you made a decision not to go and get, uh, who was it, Ben Ben Cross. But this is a completely different level. And this isn't fan service. This is character commitment. And Zachary Quinto has so closely been uh, considered with this role since he took it on in 2009, something I don't think any of us would ever thought we would have seen another actor. And and with the handoff in the wake of Leonard Nimoy's passing and how much it means to him, I'd have to handicap it at this point that, that he's the guy. Matt, I have one for you. Would the Federation, with all of its principles, you know, the one that court-martialed Michael Burnham, would they have concocted, Sarek included, this plan to destroy Kronos? Oh, I think, I think unquestionably. I think to, to preserve your way of life. I mean, this, this is the classic debate here, right? Would, would, you, would you act in a way that is antithetical to your way of life to preserve it and i think from a from a, a cold vulcan logical point of view how many klingons are on chronos i'll pick a number out of my head five billion is it worth saving five is it worth killing five billion aggressive klingons to preserve trillions of lives i mean the numbers are just there uh if you're a more emotional species i think there's a certain weight to it but you know, let's not forget the Federation is losing this war and losing it badly. And, you know, the time has come to to address that. And if you need to do to do a little bad to preserve your good way of life, I think that's an easy decision to make. I mean, I mean, my goodness, let's look at the the best analogy from the 20th century. The, the two atomic drop atomic bombs dropped on Japan that killed uh, a combined, you know, 180,000 people immediately and and surely many hundreds of thousands more over time you know whether it's radiation burns or long-term cancer that sort of thing i don't think most people uh now looking back see see blood on the hands of the united states for that you see that it was a a terrible decision uh, a weighty decision but one that was necessary to preserve the american way of life the western way of life to bring world war ii to an end I think that's the headspace that they were coming from, and I think there is a certain argument to be made that that you can have, you can have armchair atrocities after the fact, but but you're willing to make those in the moment uh, to to preserve your way of life. It certainly works with the way that the Discovery crew rallies against that, but I I just. I grow concerned with the idea that Admiral Cornwell and the rest of the leadership would have made that play. But the the desperate times, desperate measures thing certainly makes sense. The bomb in 
Kronos that we've now left with Lorel having the detonator biocoded to her. Um, okay, so we know that it's in there. We know that she's manipulating the council to come together or she's going to pull the trigger here. How long of a situation, how tenuous a situation is that? I mean, we got to come back with Mary Chipo's outstanding portrayal of, of this very complex female Klingon at some point. I'm sure we're going to catch up. Oh, you know, I, I decoded the bomb and, and now we're all right. Um, how long can this go on for? I, I suspect that the people behind the show, particularly Harberts and Berg, are they're going to take a look, they're going to take the measure of what this season was, and they're going to say, here are all these successes. We're good to go with Klingon stuff now. Can we bring Laurel back in a, in a special one or two, maybe three or four episode arc uh, that does kind of fan service and check in with a popular character? Sure. But I don't think we're going to, you know, we're not going to have the Klingon intrigue uh, th- that we've seen um, for, for so much of this past season. Now, Side note, is is there an argument to be made that they go ahead and do the three-episode Klingon intrigue thing and that becomes not season two or season three, but it becomes an in-between-the-season thing to prevent uh, what many reports are of many people canceling CBS All Access on this the day after the season has ended? Um, Maybe. So if you want to count that as part of the production or whatever, but I think we're going to leave that far behind. I think we're going to get that service line of, uh, yes, the bomb. Uh, I left it there for two rotations of the planet around our star until we were really acting unified, like for real. <laughs> then I then I took my, my foot off Erwin's throat, so they really had to just act it because that was the best way to act. Um, and I think that'll be it. I don't think that we have some, so, some sort of lengthy, well, now we got to steal the bomb back, so we have to go back to those same caves and, you know, it, it, it's Ocean's Twelve. Klingons. <laughs> I don't think we're doing that. I think we're done with that and done with a whole lot of Klingon stuff. Who is the new Discovery captain and why couldn't it have just been Saru? Why do we need acting captain? Why couldn't we just promoted him to captain? Well, first of all, I don't know that Commander Saru has enough time logged as a as a number one to become to become captain. Um because he was a lieutenant commander on the on the Senjo, right? Yeah, of course yeah. he was, because Burnham was the commander. So he's only been a commander for less than a year. Pete, you got to be real special to become the youngest captain or the first Kelpian captain or whatever whatever first you want to title you want to have. Part of me wonders: was this just a story excuse to get them to get Sarek on the ship? I mean, look, they want father and son and daughter. And son and, and you know son and daughter they want that that's clearly what they're going for and I think we're going to have some sort of interesting but ultimately baloney story of whatever that's going to smush these characters together for emotional reasons and to get us super psyched for season two with the return of Zachary Quinto and oh my goodness what are the shirts going to look like Pete are they going to go for the classic Trek shirts are they going to Pete we What's haven't even talked about the skulls look yet. like. What's uh, Doctor um, What's Doctor Brown going to tell them about their kids that they need to go back and fix? Look, here's how season two starts. It's going to be the old wool shirts 
It's going to be, they're going to remake the bridge or they're going to go to the one in Ticonderoga, New York and, and, and shoot that one. Side note, that's a trip. That's a trip we're going to have to take this calendar year to go yes. check that out. StarTrekTour.com. That's not an ad. That's just admiration. Um, you're going to get the old shirts, the old everything. They're not going to touch it up one iota. Pete, I'll admit my my green-blooded heart got all palpatized when I saw that the nacelles looked different um, on this. And I know somebody made a comment on Twitter. Oh, this just continues kind of a light visual reimagining of things. I was fine with it. It was completely yeah. respectful. You you had the radar dish um, with the deflector. Uh, the angles were all right. The spinny things in the in the right places on the nacelles. It was a completely respectful reimagination. You cannot take the old model and put that on 2018 visuals. It'll stand out like a sore thumb. And Pete, I can tell you, having um, a year and a half ago, having been to the National Air and Space Museum and having seen the original model of the original Enterprise, uh, I mean, first of all, I think there's more detail to it than we sometimes remember, just because, particularly if you've seen the episodes on broadcast or before it was digitally remastered, let's not forget, you know, now the effects are all, are all digital on Classic Trek. But still, that said, and I'm looking at the picture now, are there remnants of PVC pipe that you then added stuff to and then added other stuff at the end so it didn't look completely like, you know, like, I don't know, an 18-inch wide plumbing pipe? Yeah, there's a little there, and that's no disrespect to the show. And, you know, go find your Neil deGrasse Tyson speech about how the Enterprise is the best designed spaceship because nothing looked like that before it. Um, but a little loving light refresh does not take away all star trek that there was and um i don't know it's 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 okay to do that that however that said i'm going to restate pete i have every expectation that when we <laughs> see that bridge everything is going to be classic trek down to the last whatever um and they're they're really gonna really just going to go for that if nothing else that's an excuse to only do it for an episode or two because it's not going to look as great on TV, HD with steady cam shots. It's not going to look as great as you think. So lean into it by having it be for an episode or two and let it be, oh man, because of the grav plate things, now that we've seen the really awesome bridge, Spock's going to beam on over to Discovery and, and, and take it from there. I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I think the mistake would be to be slavish in the recreation the the fan who watches this and understands how tv and the passage of time works knows that if you too dedicatedly return to this it's just not gonna mesh hence the 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 same types of uh you know skin tones on the two ships there believable enough in the same fleet of the same kind of look yet different. I, I think their bridges will be close enough, but far enough apart to discern them. And I think the uniforms will look like discoveries. Ooh, I, Pete, look, I haven't been a, a not jeans Trek person for this entire run since we've been 
talking about the yet unnamed Star Trek show and so on and so forth. Them's fighting words there. I well, expect. I don't I even expect say, the, the the fantastic recreations that they did for the how movie. How is another just, ship in the fleet going to be donning different uniforms? It's ten years before Kirk's Trek. There's still time for them to change over and go to the the yellow and the the turtlenecky dicky. I'll, I'll tell I'll tell you why. Because the Enterprise... Because they're on a super secret mission. They get to wear different uniforms. Come on, Matt. It's not even making any sense. Uh, no, Pete. <laughs> because when you're on super deep space exploration, that's like the cold weather uniform, <laughs> which is like what you see in the cage. You know, All they need to do is hit that. So l- l- let me amend what I said. It's not going to be the traditional classic Trek stuff. It's going to be the more turtleneck sweater stuff that we do see I'd in the cage. I'd accept updated colors perhaps but you you can't too closely imitate what they've had before with the with the ribbed necks and everything it's going to look a lot like what our discovery crew members are wearing just enough familiar that you're going to go all right there you go there's those old old uniforms well far be it from me to question spoiler pete but all i'm going to say is this the less time that we spend on the enterprise and it's pristine, the more time you can have it my way. If it's like, oh man, we just came through a, 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 a vacuum nebula, cut to lovingly recreated classic Trek bridge, except there's smoke everywhere, and they're wearing the, the, the uniforms from the cage, but they're ripped up because of the troubles, then you can kind of have it both ways. And Oh, come on over. Hey, Quartermaster has given you the new uniform. <laughs> the good news is pete we'll see whether it's the end of this year or towards early next year whenever it is that cbs all access gets my money again with that let's go to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir matt we will begin from a message from our friend fred from the netherlands dear man and pete After the Super Bowl last week and having the finale this week, I find myself again in the unique position to give my feedback in time. As I said before, you're just a couple of speedy guys. I just watched the show, so this is only uh, this only will be first impressions and thoughts Liked the black outfits of Georgiou, Burnham, Tyler, Tilly and Sarek. Didn't like the nude dancers in the bar. Not very Star Trekky. And if they wanted to do this, it should have been more beautiful. It was unfitting the beautiful lighting of this episode. The beautiful lighting that was also present in the last few episodes. And uh, not for nothing, if you haven't seen Fred's uh, moments on Twitter uh, to the point where Mary Chifo has taken one of them and made it her banner image. You need to check it out. He needs to get those, Fred. Just a bit of advice. You need to get a uh, a URL and uh, let the rest of the world that's not on Twitter check those out. Yeah, I think Fred's beautiful film, TV and film images dot com or something like that. <laughs> it's got to be available. <laughs> it's got to be available, and I think you know it. The things that Fred selects. Are so are so lovely. I think they would stand out on their uh, stand out on their own, you know, uh, on their own platform. They would indeed. Continuing on, Matt um, didn't expect Tyler 
and Burnham to reconcile. Seeing the NCC 1701 in the final scene gives every Trekkie, of course, goosebumps. Big questions. Are we really going to see Captain Pike in season two? Boop, boop. Uh, <laughs> Wait, which one's yes? I, I don't remember. <laughs> so Wait, we'll just, I think we'll just yes take the Yes is boop, one boop. because he just sits there and goes boop, boop, no, boop, boop, no, as he looks out the window. So Fred, I say boop. Two, how much of the original series universe are we going to see? Or will boop, discover- boop, episodes. <laughs> or will the discovery go its own way? Nope. Boop, boop, episodes. <laughs> Two episodes. Lastly, uh, will, I'm sorry, who will be the captain of the Discovery? Handsome Canadian actor with square <laughs> jaw and one of those chin dimples who's got piercing gray eyes and who can, who can, who can smolder on screen just as much as Zachary Quinto can. There you go. Uh, greets Fred from the Netherlands. Talk to you in a while for Jessica Jones. Reminding us, of course, that uh, beginning on March 8th, Thursday, March 8th, International Women's Day, we will begin our podcast of Marvel's Jessica Jones Season 2. Fred fitting in for us our own promo moment. That, that's a seamless, Pete. Uh, we have an email here from Bob Keeley who says, well, that was excellent. Not the whiz-bang of episode 13, but a resolution worthy of being called Star Trek. The principles won the day, and the Klingon situation got reset so that it can seamlessly merge into TOS. Then we get a rousing speech, the reinstatement of Burnham, and the new mission with a twist at the end of the Enterprise showing up with Pike. Very satisfying way to end the season, Bob. And uh, I, I think that captures it, Pete. That captures mm-hmm. it in a lot of ways. You know, there there were buttons you had to push. There were buttons you could push. They went to the buttons they could push. And certainly the stakes from a casting and, uh, you know, the Enterprise is a character. And to include that, to mention it earlier in the season is one thing. And to put Pike's name on a, on a list of great captains is another now you're doubling down and you've got to go out and find somebody who can play him you got to have spock standing on that bridge if not next to him um so for them to go forward in such a way i commend them it's the uplifting way that we were promised all the way back at new york comic-con in october of 2017 that this darkness would give way to the light so can't wait for that light. You know how they need to introduce Quinto as Spock. Something that that annoys me tremendously more from the the old series, but I think or from Classic Trek. I think they did it a little bit next generation, where they would have somebody on view screen, but because they hadn't thought through the process, they would then have like a dolly in with the camera for dramatic reveal, um, which means that the camera on the alien bridge is dollying in that kind of thing that's what they need to do for the quinto reveal as he turns does the eyebrow thing uh etc oh i'm so excited pete um we also got some feedback from twitter we had uh, tweeted uh a poll uh, to rate the episode there was great voyage home good magic bomb box fairly good end and then one continuity question though Pete, 5% of voters hung up, giving it the lowest vote. One continuity question, though. Those in the cells really getting in the way of enjoying 
the rest of the episode. Another 5% for Fairly Good End. 11% Good Magic Bomb Box. That leads a whopping 79% for a great voyage home. And uh, we got some responses as well. Uh, Trek Versus, that's at Verse Trek. I loved it. Felt a tad easy to end the war, but I loved that they really emphasized Federation ideals. Looks like the one. Uh, looks like the visual reboot is now 100% confirmed. This is good. No more trying to line up the continuity puzzle pieces anymore. DC Oaks Matt at Kowtow Zero uh, writes: I can hear the complaints about Enterprise already. Don't care about Enterprise. I wonder who the new captain will be. It will probably be a new actor and nobody from the show or canon. Oh, time will tell. And yeah, I mean, look, if your complaints, let me put it this way, Pete, as somebody who, you know, I've been making my way through Star Trek Enterprise uh, to, to an alarming degree, I'm going to quickly like run out in probably about six weeks. Um, but I know that they have the whole Klingon thingy whatever that explained why there's human looking klingons and ridgehead klingons to me they they never needed to do that it just could have been those are klingons in classic trek and now there's other klingons and we're not going to explain it because one was done on the cheap last minute and one was done in response to star wars and you don't need to line up the two same thing here if 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 the new nacelles are a little less pvc pipe a little bit more i don't know Hot rod in space, that's okay. Uh, anyhow, Pete, we also got a tweet from our our longtime pal, Ian Knight, that's at Zort70. The last few moments had me shouting at the TV the moment NCC-1 came up on display. I had hoped we'd see the old girl, although not so old in this case, since day one. Hashtag we are Starfleet. All we need, Matt, is a Ian Knight at Zort70 t-shirt of discovery era enterprise now that that's it that's all we need or maybe the two the two ships almost touching there you go uh, a couple more tweets here from uh, at agents of geek pod i have so many questions going forward but i love the finale my og trek roommate is studying my feet free, freeze frame of the enterprise for reasons i know those reasons <laughs> i feel those reasons i'm still conflicted even though i'm being a nacelle apologist pete hashtag nacelle apologist needs to be a thing yes <sighs> So I feel the pain. Uh, last tweet here from JT Adkins. That's at JTA is me. Uh, I am right now investigating a description of a new alien race that has three thumbs uh, so that I can give Star Trek Discovery season one three thumbs up. We had a couple more, Matt, that I was linked in on uh, at half a cent replied very welcome surprise to see hashtag clint howard clint howard who does not seem to be on twitter but you'll see him again very soon in ron howard's solo a star wars story uh we also heard from tim morris that's at trekkie geek uh who replied to the question about um the new captain perhaps being the the uh prime lorca Okay. Also adding that uh, it's not that silly of an idea. Remember, if it turns out, I called it first. Lol. <laughs> 
Well, Pete, great to see so much enthusiasm over Star Trek Discovery. A reminder that we will be back next week to wrap up season one, to take a look back at the season as a whole. So do share your thoughts about the entire season as you uh, as you uh, re- maybe rewatch this episode again. Um, heck, how has this season sparked a a return to star trek for you i know for me as i said watching those discovery uh pardon me those enterprise episodes has been a ton of fun and uh yeah let's just keep that star trek conversation going with that pete how can people be in touch with you you can find me on twitter open hailing frequencies at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 9766 followers can't be wrong and while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast any way you like. Visit fantasticgeek.com, email fantasticgeek at gmail.com, check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com slash fantasticgeek with the PH, all one word, like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be back this weekend to talk Black Panther. If not, if you're going Star Trek only, you still have more, as mentioned, the season one wrap coming as well. With that, Pete, I will say live long and prosper to all our listeners and give you the final word. I've never been great at goodbyes. Goodbyes.